Hi, I'm Mark Crawford. This podcast is powered by my friends at Magnuson Ford. It's hard to beat a Magnuson Ford deal in Abbotsford and online at magnusonford.ca. They came from across the Atlantic, brave, skillful, proud Canadian men, many of whom would go on to skipper their troops and all to battle the enemy on foreign soil with the ultimate goal, victory. They are the Footy Soldiers. From the Sommerplatz, it's the April 16th edition of Footy Soldiers. I'm Peter Shad. To my left, Mark Teddy Rogers. All right, mate. And to the right... John Jolly Rogers. Hey, Peter. Did you make it through the whole game at DC? Holy smokes, that was painful. Mm. Perfect recipe for a thumping, though. You're getting hammered. Goalkeeper's keeping you in it. The agonizing moment where inches from the goalkeeper's gloves, sitting there spilled, crumbs laying loose in the six-yard box, and who comes in but a spindle? That awful, awful moment for a goalkeeper. You've had one of those at several, the media game. Several of the... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, you that's, ex- that's exactly what happened, and it's the same horrible, awful, you know nauseating the feeling. What was, though? You told me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there was that. But then, you're up 2-0, your mentality changes, and you've already created a landslide of chances. You're down 2-0, your mentality changes. You don't care if you allow another two. So is the D.C. United game a reflection of any kind of where the Whitecaps are truly at? No three DPs and players who had not played together. Kudo and Perez never played together. Jacobson and Tybert never played together. In fact, Tybert's first game in months, Bustos' first game ever. Just a really weird game to try to figure out. Yeah, 10 games is still the benchmark. I think if Robbo is looking at that, there is not one thing he'll be happy with from that game because they look like they're running on the beach all of them they look shattered and you know we've spoken off air and i I haven't been on that trip but you you say just the trip alone makes you tired forget about having to play 90 minutes it is exhausting and i'm still exhausted today a week later Mm -hmm. and i'm not fit (laughs) granted but still i do wonder how the players feel then they step onto a field, it is howling wind, there's nobody there, and they're playing a DC United team, you guys, that is way, way better than no wins and three draws out of five. That's a decent MLS team. I think the issue, though, Peter, is the fact that they got absolutely drubbed by a team that strolled it. That could have been eight. Teams lose games in the MLS because of the different time zones, because of the travel, because of the different climates, because of all sorts of reasons. But you shouldn't get absolutely leathered, no matter who comes into the team. And that would be a concern for Carl Robson. No, no doubt. He's a self-assessor, for sure. He'll look at that and go, so many aspects of what we did went wrong. We were all excited when we heard the news about Bustos getting that his first shot. It changed pretty quick. Well, he went out at halftime, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in that first half, you're thinking, oh, my God, are they going to make it to half here? And it's not going to be 3-0. And it was just finishing from DC United, really, and Osted, who was fantastic, really. Everybody's going to be knackered in the second half because they were chasing everywhere. You got Tybert, who is all over the place. Jacobson, who has been great so far, but looks so tired. And the two of them in the middle of the park... And in the second half, they just looked completely shattered, like they'd done all their running in the first 20 minutes. And uh, that's when it gets opened right up. Carl Robinson, after the game, said to us, nobody was good enough, including me. So what could Carl have done at any point in that game to stem the tide? Or what could he have done tactically differently to just sort of 
slow the onslaught at the very least. Because it just seemed like every time the ball went forward, it wasn't being held up. And then you had two guys up there that were now out of the equation. It's always easy to then look at a game from 30,000 feet and go, this is what he should have done. But here's a couple options. One, he's placed Bustos on the left side of midfield, which is not ideal for him. He's not fast. He's quick. He's good at playing in a closet. He's really a number 10 into a situation he won't be comfortable in. So let the kid succeed. How do you implement him in and still get those bodies on? You play a diamond. He's played a diamond before. That may have been a better option because now you look at the cascading effect of that. You shore up the middle of the park and you force them to play in wide areas. What's the strength of your defense? Defending crosses. Waston and Parker, every time they've been put into that situation, Seattle away and LA Galaxy at home, they're excellent at defending crosses. So that would have for me, would have been a better, more suitable situation. And then you still get Russ in because he can play on the left side of a diamond. You still get minutes for him. Regardless of how this game went off, Bustos will learn from that. He's still a kid. And Russ got some minutes under his belt. That's pretty much the only positive out of this. And then you can sit Jacobson in, and you have other options to play on the other side of the diamond. But the whole notion of two up front was blown way out the window. Now, again, individual performances, kudo anonymous, worrisome. Perez couldn't hold the ball up to save his life that day. Never mind formation. Your personnel has to kind of suit your formation. But with so many people in and out and not a consistent group. I think that is a fair assessment. There's been loss of players through suspension. There's been loss of key players through injury over this six games. That's going to challenge your so-called depth. However, What is worrying from a Whitecaps perspective, if you buy a player like Kudo, who relies wholly on his goals coming from good possession, purposeful possession, and good service, and you're not getting any good service, then he's wasted. Because the Whitecaps so far over six games have struggled mightily outside of the first 25 minutes against Houston to put any purposeful possession together. It's reliant on direct play. Those 25 minutes were run by Morales and variants of service. Once again in the final third, Kudo can be an effective player because his movement's very good, but he's not going to make things happen for himself. A fox in the box needs that final ball to be there, and he's not getting that right now. And he's not getting it from Bolaños, who's still hurt. Mesquita was hurt. You had no Morales. The other one for me, and Carl kind of bristled slightly when I asked him about Teixeira individually. Because he did have a big off-season. First, he's signed permanently. Then he gets married. He's on a honeymoon. He shows up in terrible shape. But he's been a shadow of himself. He's not driving past guys. He's not earning those free kicks very often. And if you don't have him, he's a key part of the equation you're just talking about. And I've watched RSL play now because we're looking towards this weekend. And who's the guy? first guy we always compare? And he is absolutely on fire. And what is he doing? Getting the ball, facing defenders, and running past them. Kakuta Mane has done it once this season. Once, one player in one squad in 11 may get off to a slow start, but when you have numerous players getting off to a slow start, it's going to reflect in their performances. I think the Caps are lucky to have two wins under their belt at this stage, and I think that's a fair assessment. And what about Bustos starting in place of Mane? Was that as much a chance to get Bustos his first MLS start, or was it a little warning shot to 
Kakuta Mane that, you know, you need to pick things up a little bit here. Well, we've talked to Robbo ourselves over the last few weeks and talking about the dynamics of including Canadian players. And maybe he thought this was a good opportunity to do that, to get Bustos and give him some sort of reward. And there's the balance, he says, you know, from the winning and losing of, of doing that. And obviously they've been battered last week i think manny's had a an awful start to the year there's no other way to put it he looks like a shadow of himself he looks like a guy who's come back off an injury who has no confidence in just the simple movement of his body never mind excelling and and uh, taking players on until the second half of that game where we actually started to see glimpses again of that and hurtado to be fair and Hurtado showed it too, which was quite surprising. That that was the biggest surprise for me, that uh, he immediately provided a spark. But again, <laughs> easy to play at two bagel down. Is that a fair thing Absolutely to say? Absolutely easy to play. And, and here's the thing. If you're going to provide a spark, score. He had two absolute sitters to put the caps. You think that the- first one was a sitter? Left foot? I think it took a deflection off somebody before it off- went off the post. <sighs> well, the second one's a side foot goal. I don't know what club he pulled out of his bag for that one. But it's shocking technique. See, everybody I talked to said he should have headed that one in or should have tried to stoop down. But not a shin. Yeah. From two yards out, why he's going for the laces strike? You don't need power there. You just need to guide it into the goal. And the first one, again, he's just trying to smash it because it's on his left foot. He's just trying to get contact on it as opposed to just low across goal. I thought those were two very good opportunities to score and he didn't cash in. Yeah. I mean, the Whitecaps DNA has been built on pinching the ball and transitioning. So, A, you got to pinch the ball. They didn't do that in D.C., and they haven't done a whole lot of it. And then when you do transition, you need speed. It hasn't come from Teixeira, or at least the ability to get in behind a fullback. It hasn't come from Kakuta Mane. So what are you left with? You're left with playing two up front and hoping that you play one, it's a flick on, a knockdown, a second ball, and even that wasn't happening. Part of the whole reason going to a four-four-two was so that wa- those wide players would be giving better cover to... To our, out, to our outside backs. <laughs> right? Well done, Jolly. And so, yes, they're not going to be as advanced up the pitch when they win possession. So it's a trade-off, right? And they look pinned back big time. I have a funny feeling we're going back to four-two-three-one this weekend, back to the basics at Real Salt Lake, a team we will preview in just a moment. Also on today's show, more referee problems. <laughs> <sighs> I was hoping we wouldn't have to talk about it, but also some contradictions from the very man we spoke to at length over the past week. Canada is going to stay in Vancouver, and later our medals of honor and who went AWOL on the 16th of April edition of Footy Soldiers. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast here on the Footy Soldiers Network. It's a 7 o'clock kickoff from Rio Tinto Stadium, where a year ago... Pretty much to the day, well, tomorrow. Russell Tybert whipped one in. Deeran nodded it past Nick Romando, and the Whitecaps had their first ever win in Utah. And they're playing a team, maybe the best in MLS, the only one that hasn't lost yet, with a very good cast of players for the system that Jeff Kassar has put in. And here you have Martinez and Mosifian, who who knows MLS to a certain degree, who have assimilated beautifully, as has Sonny, allowing Kyle Beckerman a little bit more freedom. So they're playing their 4 2 3 one, and mm-hmm. it's working very well. How can the Whitecaps match Jeff Kassar's Utah outfit? They're going to have a hard time with it. Platt has got three goals and two assists to start his season. He's on fire. And you know why he's on fire? Because there's not one player that they have to take away. They got Mavsissian, 
who is an absolute bull up front, but he's not just a bull. He gets around the pitch. He occupies center backs alone. He causes all sorts of havoc in a back four. And then who does that create space for? Plata, Martinez, the old practitioner, Javier Morales. Who might not play, apparently, tonight, but... And if he doesn't, then you have a Mulholland, who's a decent player, a great pickup out of USL. Then you have Beckerman. He would love that because what you just mentioned, Sonny having an opportunity to sit in and allowing Beckerman to be that box-to-box present, they look very confident. They're creating tons of chances. Even in games like the Sporting KC game, where they're creating tons of chance, but even against Colorado, where they're under the cosh for large, they still look dangerous on the counterattack. Hmm. Tough ask. What do you tell Fraser Aird about Joao Plata and how best to defend him? You can either do it one of two ways. Get very, very tight to him so he doesn't have the opportunity to turn. Now, in the old days, they would have said kick him, but you can't do that anymore, <laughs> as you know. That's a five-game suspension now? Yeah. Or, yeah. But, or as he gets facing and, and say, for example, Kyle Beckerman receives the ball in a deep area, is give yourself a five-yard cushion and make sure you don't get caught square with him. Because once he's in behind you, he'll cut towards goal and then you're done. He's a white cap killer too. You could also shut the supply off to him as well. But they do have one weakness. I've noticed they've given an opportunity to this young lad named Glad. Justin Glad, And he yeah. scored a goal, but he gets dragged out and played in behind over and over and over again and there's an opportunity there if they can get some possession in the middle of the park is to pull him out with a la blas perez loves to come to that space and expose the space in behind him because that's where colorado got some joy and especially where sporting kc got some joy against olave himself i think the whitecaps would be perfectly happy if olave played he's reckless you know he's reckless and he's not the fastest when i was watching ted I, i noticed that when they lose possession they're slow to react there's times in the Colorado game where they're giving 30 or 40 yards of space, allowing them to drive into that space right at your center back, Glad, and he's having to make the decisions. And it's usually bad communication in the back four that when in those situations, that's a difference maker, right? How do you communicate together and how do you react to that? And uh, they were playing all the way around them, I think four or five times in the first half. Mm-hmm. It was just bad finishing that Colorado didn't uh, didn't score some good stuff from Ramondo as well, but they were all over the place. So I agree. That's something that jumped off the screen at me as well as, as being something there if the Whitecaps have a chance to get into that space quickly. Because they'll overcommit players in the attack. And we just talked about those attacking players. They love to chuck bodies forward. They're an exciting team, frankly. But what they do is leave themselves a little bit open to the counterattack. Now, the Caps are traditionally been an exciting counterattacking team. We haven't seen it so far this season. If they can get somewhat back on track, they could nick a goal on the counterattack. This is going to be a real hard ask at RSL. It's always hard to go there. Think back to the diamond in midfield days, and now they're playing in that 4-3-3. But they have a good side down there. Matias Laba will look forward to getting back in the lineup. He is back for sure. He was suspended. Octavio Rivero was training fully and linking up beautifully in training on Thursday. The Uruguayan triumvirate, there was an understanding there. And if you think back to last year when the Whitecaps were scoring multiple goals in consecutive games, that run that Mesquita was on, it was when those three were playing together. And that's why I think you're going to see a 4-2 with maybe Laba and Jacobson, Mesquita as the 10, Rivero up front, Mane and Teixeira on the width, which is kind of apart from Morales, where they were at last year. Right now, it comes down to performances. This is where I agree with Robbo is he needs to get 
some sort of confidence into individual players because it doesn't matter what formation you play. It doesn't matter if they played a four six zero in DC. They still would have got beat because their players are not performing. They're not confident right now. He has to get some level of confidence in his players. Get a confident performance. Even if they lose, there needs to be something that he can grab a hold of and say, what a big improvement in this area. And for me, the area is possession, purposeful, confident possession, and on the counterattack. And if they create chances and don't score, at least there's something that he can start from. The pace has just not been there, the explosive driving pace. And the Whitecaps, they're not really the Whitecaps without it. And I shudder to think of what happens if they don't get it back and how they have to play. It's just their whole DNA is centered around that skill. They're screwed if they don't have pace because they're set up to play on the counterattack. A Hurtado can come in and be a band-aid because he can't be a long-term fix. He's not good enough. I concede that for sure. But if he's a band-aid to get guys back to that level of confidence because you don't just turn that on and off. I've been a player, and you these guys, the one thing, they will have pride in their professional performance. It's not a lack of trying. They need a psychologist with these guys right now to talk them through the, the process of how they're addressing their performances and the thought processes that they're going into games with. Because right now, the whole battle for a guy like Akuta Mane has nothing to do with his feet. It's in between his ears. We look at the roster, and we look who left. Darren Maddox and Gershon Kofi and Mauro Rosales. You would say Christian Bolaños is an upgrade on Mauro Rosales, just in age alone, but in quality, too. He's a good player. Gone is Gershon Kofi, in is Andrew Jacobson. Would you call that an upgrade? At the minute, yeah. And then Darren Maddox gone, and Blas Perez and Masato Kudo in. You'd call that a significant upgrade. And yet, here we are. It doesn't look like a better team somehow right now, which is the... uh, the flux that well, the Whitecaps are in and the reason why the fan base is so concerned. There's one thing, changing your roster to give different looks and get a better idea of what your team is, but when you're in constant flux and nobody understands and there's no... Uh, Robo talked last year about partnerships and, say, a Spanish-speaking fullback and a Spanish-speaking winger yeah. working together in groups. There's no continuity there. There's going to be, to steal men and blazers, some suboptimal performances within there, right? <laughs> DC is the perfect example of that. How many partnerships right. were off? I think when when you see a few games in a row where it's really the first team, first choice players, then you can make that judgment. But I don't think there's anything to panic about in, at this point of year scoring no goals in the first six games. Yeah, but two of those were with 10 men. It's hard scoring an open play goal with 10 men as it is. So, I, again, I'm, I'm not on the panic train here. I, no. There were people after that D.C. game that were calling for Carl's head. It's time to change the oh, coach. it's ridiculous. It's time to change tactics. It's time to throw it all out. Let's just, let's just get rid of everybody and bring new people in. It was like the Vancouver Canuck attitude. No, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but you don't have time in 140 characters to tell people how stupid they are. <laughs> No, that, well, how did you reply? Yeah, I said, come on. Yeah, two words. But I wanted to quit Twitter on Saturday. I was that disillusioned because I'm just so tired of it. You know, it's this reactive, I deserve a team that wins right now. If you're not winning right now, you are not satisfying me. I need to find a winner. I need to jump on a winning bandwagon somewhere. First of all, that's not MLS. Exhibit A, the LA Galaxy of 2013 and 2014. The Portland Timbers of 2015. I mean, we've we got to learn from this. And Russell Tybert said it over and over at training this week. It's how you finish. That's a difficult thing to say, though, when it's April the 16th. Miles to go. 
except for the fact that the Caps have had adversity with suspensions and injuries, but they still have to learn from what the mistakes they've made. Possession's a problem. Counterattack's a problem. Confidence in, in key players is a problem. And if you don't learn from those, you don't have a good end of season. You're just bottom of the table. So the Caps still have a lot to work on, and scoring from the free play is a concern because it is now six games. They have created chances, though, although, albeit... Fourth in the league, shots on target, guys. Fourth in the league, shots on target. Yeah. That's why I find that whole thing kind of a little bit contrarian. If you're not getting the chances, yeah, I'd be freaked out. But even in D.C., they got three really good looks, maybe even four. Yeah. Fraser Aird's, Blas Perez actually had two, and then the two Hurtado chances. There's four right there. So, you mentioned suspensions. There was one this week. Nigel DeYoung. Never a foul. <laughs> well, you know, I had to watch it a few times to go, is that really that bad? Because the Timbers fans on Twitter made it seem like he should have been actually hung in the uh, StubHub Square right after the game. We'll discuss the three-match ban to Nigel DeYoung, also the Van Damme Lunge, and the fact that Alan Chapman, who was supposed to referee the Whitecaps RSL game today, got yanked and sent down to Division Three for an OC game of some kind. That's all straight ahead on the Saturday edition of Footy Soldiers. Broadcasting from an unknown location deep behind enemy lines, this is Footy Soldiers. Another week, another disco supplemental suspension. We didn't really know. There were rumors that Nigel DeYoung was getting three games. Is that fair for that tackle? Yeah, I, I think it was a bad tackle. And we're going to get into it a little bit, but the bigger concern is we're hearing that the refs are following some sort of mandate that's dropping out of the sky from the owners. I don't know if they are of a quality to manage any mandate that comes from above them. And I think this is just now a microcosm of it. You're still seeing inconsistency no matter what they tell them to do. And if you have that problem on your front line, what do you do, Pete? Simplify the problem. Get back to basics. No different than what you would tell a player. Simplify your game, okay, because you're struggling. Let's get back to basics. And this is how you do it. Two-footed tackle, I think we all agree, is a red. Two-footed, straight-legged tackle, you are off. It's what players want because those are the ones that they truly know are being endangered. The second one that's just as bad but maybe can be tomfooleried by a player is a straight-legged above the ball. It's called topping a player. That's nasty as well. Okay. So De Jong, that's why I said, yeah, it's a nasty tackle because that's a leg breaker. And the one now going back to Laba, and I tweeted out a picture of a guy watching, I was watching the OKC game, a USL game, in preparation for Whitecaps 2 this weekend. And there's a classic one, and it's called a foul, and then they just get on, and it's Laba's tackle because it's along the ground. doesn't need to be a red card. If he wins the ball first and... He goes and wins it along the ground. Sometimes your studs are going to show. It's just the way the human anatomy is. It shouldn't even be a foul. If you're late, yellow card, foul, maybe. Not so quick with the card, so simplify it. Well, what about Yelly Van Damme's two-footed lunge at Fernando Addy then? Red. To me, that actually looked as bad as De Jong's, and it just didn't end in a player getting wheeled off. So you think that was a red too? Yep. See, we haven't heard whether or not Disco is going to suspend But again, the problem with a lot of our coaching in North America is the fact that they can't see what's actually happening during the minute-to-minute game because they don't have the experience. 
they have to come away from the game, put the video on to go, this is what happened, Rennie. So that's what that's that's really the situation. No different with our refs. Our refs can't see in real time what just happened. They don't have the experience and they don't have the know-how. That's why the league needs a disco. They need to come away and supplementally referee these games. And it's being done to death. And all it is doing is lowering the integrity of the MLS. I asked Peter Walton flat out, a young player that's given too much information by their manager is not playing freely. You've got referees that have disco at one end, pro match evaluators at the other, mandates galore. Now they're going out. Are they refereeing freely? Absolutely not. And now Alan Chapman who was supposed to do today's game, even though they say, well, these are assigned four weeks in advance, so we don't change them. Well, they just contradicted themselves yeah, this week told us that. already. And then I often wonder with Disco, I mean, I, I know two of the members of Disco. One of them is the old ex-assistant to Bruce Arena on the U.S. men's national team. So he's on this committee. Now, if you're needing the unanimous consensus of a decision, and you've got De Jong, and you've got Yelly Van Dam, and that's his old assistant there, how hard would it be to say, ah, you know, I know Bruce. And yet, when I asked the league higher-ups, who's on that disco right now? Do you not think we have a right to know who that is? Why why is that behind the curtain? Why aren't those people accountable? And they said, we don't know who's on nonsense. They don't know who's on disco. Come on. And they won't tell us. I think that's ridiculous. Last year, it was two members of the Columbus crew. Well, what happens if the Columbus crew get involved in something? And now, all of a sudden, these two guys have to make a ruling with their old team. Yeah, because we know three of the others are ex-MLS players, so they played for somebody. Why are they not referees, though? I said, in this age of technology, why can't you have somebody in Holland, Italy, Germany, and England as advisors, and you just put them on a teleconference? What do you think of this? This is what we're trying to get rid of. Give me your impression of whether this is a suspension, a red, because if you're trying to be among the global elite in leagues, shouldn't you solicit the advice of global leaders in the area that you're looking for. We talked about this a little bit last week. I guess we're covering old ground. But There's an article in, in Howler talking about <laughs> but what I look at is, is transparency in the way the MLS is actually put together. And, and transparency is a good thing in these type of situations because you squash a lot of rumor immediately. And whether you agree with somebody or not, integrity becomes much more difficult to question in those situations, right? Because that's really what we're talking about. You say Bruce Arena's assistant coach. His integrity is at stake there. If his name is out there and people know who he is. The chairman of the committee. Well, you know, (laughs) so it becomes something that uh, they can squash right away by just being transparent about it. But by keeping it in the cupboard, they can manipulate it maybe more easily to their advantage. But they're finding out maybe that's not as easy as it it sounds. Well, I don't think they anticipated the backlash from the broadcasters who they accused of all being, you know, short-sighted or not knowledgeable of the rules or the fans. And this is where... It's so difficult for me to trust the instincts right now of the executive at MLS level because the Portland Timbers campaigned for Nigel DeYoung to be gone for a long time. Horror tackle. I don't know if it was a horror tackle, guys. In real time, I could see why Alan Chapman would struggle, like you said, to manage that situation because it happens so fast. And how do you know what his intent is? Slow-mo, everything looks nefarious. Exactly. So now you've got this huge landslide, ex-champion fans calling for a guy's head, and now you go and you actually do deliver that later in the week than you normally do. 
It is not transparent, the whole process. The MLS had a conference call of which you and I were on, Pete. The way they started was basically, you guys are all dumb. And, you know, in our case, they're probably right. <laughs> but but yeah. that's probably not the best way to start a conference call with a smug, cheeky yeah. reply. Dealing with a narrative that is a wildfire out of control. Yeah. And this is what people are talking about. You know why? Because people that have been in the game for a long time, like myself, like guys we know in the media, are talking about it because they think it's a problem as well. And did you notice what happened? Because I was on both the journalist and the broadcaster's call. On the journalist's call, it was really well executed. You pushed a button, you said your name, and you were allowed to ask a question, and the moderators all knew. You start our conversation on the broadcasters out by saying, listen, you guys are all dumb, but go ahead and ask some questions now. Geez, you guys talk for a living. How come you're not asking any questions? Well, because you just said we're all dumb. We don't know what a professional foul is or a tactical foul is, which they brought up. This transparency issue is why the Howler magazine article that you alluded to, Jake uh, Walerius's article, I thought was so good because it was about whether or not Major League Soccer is uh, a socialist league or a capitalist league or whether it should choose one of those sides. And the elite European leagues are capitalist leagues, you know, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And isn't it wonderful that two teams that have a lot of English players that are not spending hundreds of millions of pounds are leading that capitalist league, because it might throw the whole thing into higgly-piggly land. I mean, some great quotes in that. MLS, a competitive sports league versus entertainment spectacle. Which is it? A very un-American product in distinctly American packaging. Supporters versus customers. You know, these are all sides that need to be chosen. And now at 20 years, and it is funny, it's the 20th anniversary, I think they are at a crossroads of what to do next. Do they abandon a salary cap? Do they tell the owners, you guys are on your own now? We're going to let you go and do your own thing, and you can now dictate the terms of your franchises however you want. I don't see that happening at all. <laughs> the other no. way is what you think. Well, I think what we've just talked about, and you know, I worry about it being like this echo chamber of the three of us talking about refereeing, and you know, it becomes this massive negative spiral. But from what we've just been talking about, that's there's no way that's going to happen. They're trying to micromanage everything, and you know, when you accept that that this is a franchised model that they a have single entity, yeah, single entity, and I think he makes a point that it's. It's actually not socialism. It's an oligarchy owned by a few and run very tightly that way to create parity and all that. And I think it's, you know, you peek behind the curtain a little bit in this league and and you can figure that out very quickly, especially when you have the Detroits of the world and we we go on about them uh, doing it quite the opposite way, creating a culture first and then finding out where's best for us to be. I think it's a dangerous thing to just consider sport as just entertainment. I think a byproduct of what we all love about sport, competition, something at stake, being in a tribe almost, being with a group of people who really have similar uh, outlooks on life and, uh, and those types of things. Well, that's almost a religious aspect okay? of it. A byproduct of that is entertaining. Yes. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the show, but one of the reasons I started to go away from basketball, which I loved as a kid, was because of the antics at every break. There was a TV timeout every time a ball went out. There was seven-foot guys doing unbelievably athletic things, and then you 
trump all that by putting a gorilla in a suit and he jumps off a trampoline and does a triple flip and dunks the ball. It, totally subverting the athleticism and excellence of your game. Undermining it. Totally undermining it. So I think you have to be careful of saying if you just want entertainment, you can go to the circus. But if you want to be a part of something and watch something and be a part of a group and feel like there's something at stake, go watch sports. We come to that too easily that it's just for entertainment when it's entertaining. Because then your consumer goes from being an observer to a supporter. And think about what that word means, supporter. It means this is a part of my life that goes outside of those 90 minutes. I'm going to engage with you for the whole week. Now, from a business standpoint, that's fantastic. But what we're seeing, not just in Europe, where I would argue that from a business standpoint, yes, it's a capitalist dog-eat-dog in a competitive level. There's promotion and relegation in it. It's all about capitalism. But from a supporter's level, it is more socialist over there because they're going mental on being gouged like a consumer. Right. You guys are making all this money on TV revenue. We're here to support you. We're going to talk about it every day. I'm going to buy your kit, no matter what you do. Supplement some of that. MLS has to embrace something that's happened organically in North America and not through design. And that is a supporter's culture is starting to be created in a non-traditional supporter's culture, which is North America. Right. You're starting to see people like Portland Timbers, and the way they support that team is wonderful. We've been there, Pete. The Timbers Army did that themselves. That's what I mean. It's an organic Same as the Southsiders. I think that North American sports culture has a hard time getting their heads around that and taking advantage of it, capitalizing on it. And the only way they know how to capitalize on it is ask for more money, charge more for the kit, we're going to control where you go and how much beer costs instead of going the other way. And it goes back to a lot of what we discussed about with Stanley Park mm-hmm. and, and talking about what do you want? How do you want to engage? Right now, it's this is what you're going to get and this is how much it costs. Well, it's funny because in England with these huge TV deals, what they're actually doing is they're catering to an audience that can't actually physically even go to the games at times at the mercy of those who are going to the games. It's a very interesting time. I want to pick up one more little aspect of this in just a second as we get set to wrap up footy soldiers here on TSN. Once the battle lines have been drawn, strategy and theory are replaced by will and desire. Now is the time for heroes. Now is the time for the footy soldiers. We talked about sports and religion having a lot of things in common. You know, you want to congregate with your fellow man for the good of a cause. And a lot of what you are there for is what you believe in. And if you don't believe in it, guess what happens? And in sports, we're talking about Major League Soccer. What if you don't believe the narrative that's being fed to you? And instead of letting the narrative breathe and, you know, do its own thing and evolve naturally... And I don't know why there's such a fear of that, but it feels like there is control. And just by the definition of this rule interpretation, there is a control of how this product is being presented to the congregation, if you will. And, uh, and so I, I just think sometimes, you know, you need to let the people tell the story rather than trying to tell them the story. And, and that's my fear with Major League Soccer a little bit right now. Is, and that's why I think this is a critical time for this league. Well, I think it's a critical time as well because those realizations are 
people have those realizations that these are tribal type of feelings and and almost religious like feelings when you're at any game Ted I, I've seen you play a lot and I not massive supporters groups at no, Wickham no. but fervent as anywhere else when we're talking about stuff like the CPL or the proposed Canadian League there's an opportunity right there to differentiate yourself and make it transparent and take on some of the things that we're seeing with the MLS, accepting that everything's not going to be peachy keen and rosy and you can't manipulate everybody, giving those people a voice. And I, I just think that's one way to do it. But that's a personal I, outlook on it, Ted. Over the last couple of weeks, John, I've used the word sterilized. You're sterilizing your game. I think the game of football needs to be a bit gritty, a bit dirty. And what you follow is more than just the 11 players on the pitch. You follow the ethos of the club. Was it handed down to me from my father and my grandfather? Like we got it ever started supporting Everton, despite us growing up in Tawasin, British Columbia. I'd hate to see this become you support Vancouver because you live there and your experience is going to be exactly like any other market in this MLS. We're going to sterilize the whole thing. Forget what the international uh, referees think about the game. We're going to change the rules to suit us. And I'd hate to see that. Let it be organic from a club perspective. Cherish what you're getting in Orlando. Cherish what you're getting in the Bronx or in Portland. And Vancouver, by the way. And it's growing because of people like Zach Mesenheimer, mm-hmm. who comes there on a Friday, goes in there and puts together inc- – and I'm not – when I give him credit, I'm giving all his compadres credit. Yeah, well, it's the whole that whole side of the stadium. Fantastic. They've been doing that for a long time, and it grew from a small group, and there are several groups involved. Interesting, too, that Zach is actually a pastor – to uh, use the religious analogy, but again, it's the common good. It's a movement. It's a whole way of thinking, which I think is very interesting. And I, I wanted to share an email that we got, uh, footysoldiers at gmail.com, from Alex McGilvery. He's uh, sent in an email before, but I was absolutely astounded with this because you alluded to Stanley Park. I wanted to talk a little bit about Stanley Park Gunners. By the way, I've come around to Stanley Park FC, nicknamed Gunners, just because of all the people that are Arsenal haters. SP. FC would sound pretty cool, wouldn't it? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> the things you guys are saying about this club are getting me so inspired. I haven't felt so much excitement about a soccer team since the Caps joined the MLS a few years back. I can't help but smile at the idea of jogging into Stanley Park amongst the cyclists and bussers to watch our team play in the CPL. To that end, I have to ask, what sort of discussions are happening to actually create this team? Is this a pipe dream, or is this something we could make happen? If it is possible, we should be making a move because it's an incredible idea. I'd like to volunteer my services as a chartered accountant to help make this dream a reality. I can help you create a legal charity through which Stanley Park could grow, starting with those jerseys that I'm sure Jolly is putting the finishing touches on. But you're not. But anyway, <laughs> um, what that says Isn't that to me, great? that is exactly what we've been talking about with the Detroit cities, etc. From an idea grows this culture to the stage where supporters are actually banging nails and driving rivets and, and actually putting a club together, which, which is, to me, uh, a really romantic, but I think... It's, it's something that we as human beings are crying out for. Do you know what I mean? That we are crying out for a real experience that we create rather than somebody creating for us. Now, let's look at it this way, too. Would you rather right now where there's, there's the white caps and they're doing their thing and there is not an alternative to that? 
that don't have to be in perfect competition. But you can start something here that by the time, hopefully in 50 years when, or 60 years, if I make it that far, I can look at where that's grown generationally to the point where we're talking about what we want now, right? So taking that long view of it, or we have something that burns white hot for five or 10 years and it's gone. I think that kind of thinking, if you put it down on there, you have a, a better view of the future if you just think about it a little deeper. Cash in on a gold rush which is what is happening with the NASL. I don't think the NASL is going to make it. I've said it a million times on this show. All right. Medals of Honor and who went AWOL this week. Can I start with my Medal of Honor? I'm going to give it to my little four-year-old Spencer. Last week, he had a meltdown for going to soccer. This week, his meltdown was because he had to leave soccer. So there is progress, gentlemen. <laughs> his meltdown was because he was having so much fun, he didn't want to leave. It's genetic, the ups and downs of a shad boy, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? MOH, Theodore? Medal of Honor goes to the International Football Association Board. Um, they've made a rule change. Uh, this is the governing body that makes rule changes at the uh, world level. And I love their rule change. It's something that's been a kind of a burr under my saddle for a while now is the straight red. When a guy's in on goal, straight red within the 18-yard box, that results in a penalty, a red card, so now down to 10 men, and then a suspension, sort of like a triple punishment. For this one. is the dogzo rule, if you will, denying a goal-scoring yeah. opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> so you can imagine a guy comes, he's trying to win a tackle, Maybe just misses it. It's a penalty, okay? So it's a penalty. But then don't send him off and suspend him. So what they're doing is if it's a deliberate you're act. You're pulling a guy so down on purpose. It's a professional foul. So you're pulling him down. Right? That's still a red card. Tactical is, foul, actually, Ted, we learned last week. Yeah. Thanks, Come on, Johnny. mate. Yeah, I, uh, listening. Bad, bad, Mark. Um, but the, <laughs> in all fairness, that's great. Send him off because that's that's a dodgy... Uh, yeah, Suarez little, in the World Cup. You got it, but... More interpretation, oh no, but anyhow. Yeah, but I like, I like the fact that well, it's Well, as a not central gonna... defender, of course you're going to say that. I hate that situation. No, I agree. I agree that it's an automatic when it's a clumsy tackle, for example, and the, you happen to be the yellow, last man. It's yes. still a penalty, Yes, but you still get a yellow card. You don't get suspended and down to 10 men. Have they changed a handball to an indirect free kick yet, uh, the rule? The Peter Shad not, rule? Yeah, that's my the rule. Law. The, the law. The law, yes. What's your medal of honor, Jaws? Oscar Ortega, uh, the fitness coach at Atletico Madrid. Oh, how um, good were they? Wow. They outran yeah. Barcelona this week by more than 12 kilometers as a group. Oh. Their midfielders, Gabby, Augustus, Coque, and Sal, 11.8 kilometers, 11.4 kilometers, 12.2 kilometers, and 12.1 kilometers. Over 47 kilometers by those players. Think about the point of the season we're at. We're in April. You give up possession in games like they did against Barcelona, you're going to run more because you're covering ground. But... That's an amazing stat. And no me. muscular injuries. No muscular injuries. You know, the first sign of a good manager is when their players are a reflection of who they are as a person. Because that means that you're getting your message across. Think of Simeone as a player. Look at his team. If you can't appreciate that, and I know you hear me glowing because I love... It reminds me of Mourinho's Inter Milan. Of that kind of unit Committed. defending yeah. Yeah. that got them that Champions League title. And if you can't appreciate that side of the game, you're missing out on both sides of the ball. That was a wonderful defensive performance. Godin at center back, I'd put up there as one of the best in the world right now. He's an incredible player. 
And so, how about how deep the nets are at Athletic? <laughs> it's like when the ball crosses the goal line, it takes like 10 minutes to hit the back of the you net. Love so, that, I do kind of like that, you know. My AWOL this week, just simple, DC. Crap. Unfriendly, pain in the ass to get to. Not a great place, considering it is arguably at the center of the universe of all global business. Happy Van Winkle they have on They did, on yes. Tap. Might have been counterfeit, though, now that I sort on of think tap. about it. No, not on tap. <laughs> no, right in the shop window. Yikes. I thought about a smash and grab there. How about an AWOL for you? Do you have anything? or? Well, struggling clubs. And what I'm inferring is, yes, Villa, that's too easy to talk about Gabby Bonlahor and his donuts problem. Yeah. Um, too many people now ha- have the access to information. In the old days, is those 11 players suck, and so does the manager. And we've talked about how much deeper it goes, and it goes to the core. When you lose your soul, usually you get relegated. Yep. And look at what's happening to Villa and Newcastle. How do they treat their employees? They just lost a discrimination case against Gutierrez, a player that had testicular cancer, and they basically they didn't allow him to f- see out his contract, in which case he would have got a rolling on contract addition. Now, they can argue that he was past his best, but I'd say that testicular cancer might add something to do with that. But you just look at some of the narrative around Villa 2. You have people in your front office that are looking down on their their heart and soul, the people that get paid £5 an hour to sell burgers and chips, then having to reapply at the beginning of the season for the jobs that they've been doing for donkey's years. doesn't create goodwill. Directors laughing and joking and skipping and giggling after they lose. Players doing the same. You're losing your soul when those are the type of players you hire, I think it's interesting to then see that after you do make all those soulless decisions, that then the team sucks as well. But I will add one thing to that. It always, always starts at the very top. Mike Ashley, Randy Lerner. Enough said. AWOL? No AWOL this week. All right, guys, that's it. We got to go. I'll talk to you on the TV tonight from Rio Tinto Stadium, 7 o'clock kickoff, 6 o'clock pregame on TSN Radio, and have a wonderful week. Hi, I'm Mark Crawford. This podcast is powered by my friends at Magnuson Ford. It's hard to beat a Magnuson Ford deal in Abbotsford and online at magnusonford.ca.